that. Um, sorry about that. The other thing that I so the other thing that I learned about my class yesterday was that we didn't have enough time. So we're going to have to keep moving very, very quickly. Okay? Parsha's told us here we are. Okay? It starts from... It starts in chapter 25, verse 19. Okay? And, um, and told us, by and large, has if we're going to break it down like in very big... Is it... Okay. Is it Dina saying out to shows we're starting yeah? Adina knows we're starting. Okay, so, so the, if we if we break down, um, told us into two sort of major categories, we have Yitzchak and Rivka, and we have Yaakov and Esav. What might we do? Do not color the book. Okay, so it's a stamp paper. Okay, keep away from the book. Thank you. But let's move the book away so you don't color on the page. Sorry about that. And um, so we basically have two main categories. We have Yitzchak and Rivka, and we have Yaakov and Esav. Now, the interesting thing about Yitzchak is that he is the, he is, I would say the Av, he is. He's the, he's the forefather who lives the longest of all the forefathers. He lives 180 years, okay? And we know the least about him. He's, he's extremely passive in most of the stories that we have about him. Yitzchak lives for 180 years. Avraham lives for 175 years. Um, uh, Yaakov lives for 147 years, right? So we know so much about Yaakov. The last six parshas, the last six parshas of Gracious are all, are all Yaakov and his children's story, right? We know a ton of information about him. Yitzchak lives 180 years. We know very little about him. And most of what we know about him He's very passive. What do we know? We hear his birth. We hear about the Akeda. We hear about finding a wife for him. So far, none of those stories was he an active participant. He was kind of like, you know, we have him, we have him uh, sort of just almost on the sides, letting things happen to him. So even though he was brought up on the Akeda, it's not considered his test. It's considered Abraham's test. Like, the white, the whole story of the of the finding a wife for Yitzchak is Eliezer's story. It's not his story. He's like a side player in, in events of his life. In this parsha, we also mentioned just by way of Stam that Avram. We talk about Avram in the parshas of Lech Lecha, Vayera, and Chayesara. And like I said, Yaakov is the next six parshas. This is the only parsha where we have any kind of activity on Yitzchak's part. Okay. What is the activity that the Torah tells us that Yitzchak does? What does he do? That, is, he, is he active really in blessing his son? At the end of the parish, we're going to have the whole story of the blessings. It's, he, he is, but he isn't. Rivka really is kind of running the show over there with the blessings. What do we find Yitzchak's activity? We're going to have it starting um, in the... Third Aliyah, so chapter 26, verse 13, uh, 15, 16, he digs wells. We find the discussion of what does he actively participate in? Where do we see Yitzhak? He's digging, first he's digging the wells that Avraham built, not built, he's redigging the wells that Avraham uh, dug, that the Plishtim um, stuffed up. 
um, and he's and then he starts digging his own. That is his most active activity. I don't know if that's like how you would say it in English. I don't even know how to say it in Hebrew, but I'm for sure don't know how to say it. Whatever he we see him, he's very active in digging in, in digging wells. Okay, and one of the things that we're going to find is that place of digging is going to is going to um, it's going to it's going to uh, it defines him. It really it really helps us understand his personality um, a, a, a lot. In order to dig a well, what do you need to have? A shovel. Okay. What else do you need to have? Knowledge of where it's a good place to dig it. Not even where it's gonna not even where there not even where is a good place to dig it. You need to have belief more than knowledge. Well, it is knowledge that there is water here. When everybody laughs at you and says, What are you crazy? You're in the middle of the desert. What are you digging wells for? This you know that if you go deep enough, if you go far enough you're going to build, you're going to find water. And the water that you're going to find is going to be better and sweeter and more clear and less contaminated than any water that's going to come from any over, overground source. The water that you, well water, water from under the subterranean water is going to be clear. It's going to be fresh. It's going to be pristine if you could get to it. Now, we've all had the experience, I believe, of sitting at the edge of a beach and trying to dig a hole, right? You try to dig, a, you want to make a beautiful castle, you make your first three scoops and boom, we're full of water, right? Go further away, go further inland and it becomes a little harder to find it. And what Yitzhak is going to do, he's gonna have the belief that even in the middle of the desert, wherever they are, there is water. Now we know that the water, the earth is made up of a lot. There's a lot of water in the earth. The question is how much effort does it take to get the water? And how much effort is anybody willing to expend to get that water? And Yitzhak goes to great, great lengths to get water. So you need to both, you need close it or open it? Um, you need to go to great lengths to dig it and to store it up, to shore it up, not store it up, to, to the engineering ability to make sure that it doesn't collapse on you. Because if it's a little tiny, you know, well, that's, you know, five, you have to go down four meters. So it's a lot, but it's not a mile. So whatever it is you have to do, you have to be able to do, you have to be able to dig with the belief that there's water and with the knowledge to make sure that it doesn't collapse in your head, okay? When we talk about Yitzchak as a personality, we talk about him as Gvura, that is exactly what Gvura has. Gvura has the tenacity. That's a very nice word. Tenacity is a nice word. You have the tenacity to keep building. You have the, 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 the strength to keep going and to say, there is water and we are going to find it. Um, what does that mean? First of all, we are going to find that Yitzchak is going to be in a very hard position in, in, his, in his role as Avram Yitzchak and Yaakov. Number two is a very hard place to be, right? The first person, the revolutionary Avraham, that's easy. Well, it's not easy, but it's easier, right? You have this great idea. You have this passion and this excitement and charisma and people flock to Avraham. Now, what happens after Avraham passes away? One of Yitzchak's first jobs is going to be to, so to speak, separate Judaism from the person of Avraham. If it's only around Avraham, if it has, if he is the 
the leader and the mentor and the, I don't want to use other negative words like that have sort of negative connotations. If it's all about the Avram personality, then how long does that last? It doesn't last even a full generation. It, it's something that has depth and meaning irrespective of Avraham, then that is going to be something that's going to be lasting. And one of the things that Yitzhak has to do is to teach the people a way of relating to Hashem that is similar. It's following in the tradition of Avraham. Here's water. We know when we talk about water, water is Torah. Exactly. Water is Torah. Here is Torah. But where Avraham was like, here, take, 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 have water, have water, have water. Yitzhak said, you have water in you. You need to dig. I will help you. I will give you the tools. I will show you that you have water. And a lot of people were not interested in that. They're like, what? I have to work for this? No, I want to like, I want the easy road. I want the inspiration. I just want to be showered water from above. I want, I want uh, a tissue. Sorry. What? Sorry. Picture? Sorry, baby. Okay. So where Abraham was giving water freely to everybody, giving Torah, giving inspiration freely to everybody, and people flocked to Abraham in Chazal tell us in hundreds and thousands. There were tons of people who came to Abraham and Sarah because of their Here's water, here's life, here's Torah, here's God. You're in the desert, you're not just physically in the desert, but you're parched and you're wondering what's the purpose of everything. Here, here, here. Now they, yeah, Avram passed away. Yitzhak is like, they come to Yitzhak, they're like, give us, give us. And he's like, no, 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 find it. You have it. You can do this. You have the goodness. You have the Torah. You have the inspiration. Some of us, it's going to be a little higher on the surface. Some, it's going to be more digging. I'm here to help you. No problem, I'll help you. But the work, I'm not doing the work for you. Here's, here's, here's the shovel, here's the map, here's what you need to do, you need to do it yourself. And that type of personality, A, is much harder to deal with. It's, it's a harder space for Yitzhak to be in. It's also harder for people to, to deal with. The real people who are willing to fight for the truth are less than the people who are willing to like just take it if you give it to me, right? The people who are the real deep thinkers and and you find it in general um anytime you have like the second one joshua you know has to take tyrus malaysia and make it for the people to have it you know have it here you have the balshentov and you have the mizrashimagid you have the every single time you have like revolutions the second one is always a harder place the third is already like we're making this go and last. So easier is an easier place to be. And the second is almost like it's like in a trilogy. The second book is always like just a filler, you know? But it's not. It's really in, in this particular place, Yitzhak is actually laying down the foundation for what, what does a relationship with God look like? What is a real relationship? Not just where I'm going to give it to you and it's going to be something that we could easily stuff up. Avram's water, those, those wells that Tyra tells us were able to just be plugged and that was the end of them and we didn't have them anymore. Yitzhak is going to say, I'm going to teach you to dig so deep that there's going to be water that's going to, that's going to just keep coming. It's going to be pure and beautiful and refreshing, which also explains why Yitzhak loves Esau. Because when he sees Esau, what does he see? 
What does he see in Asaph? There's got to be water. There's got to be water here. There has to be goodness in here. And if I love Asaph enough, if I help him enough, it will help the water, it'll help the Kedusha come out. Um, and, and, and how is he going to do it? He's going to do it by trying to give him the blessing. There's all different kinds of things we talk about. The relationship, one of the things we know about Asaph, uh, for all his, we'll talk about him, about his personality, he was, as, back up a second, as a child, Yaakov and Asaph are indistinguishable. When they're children, when they're just born, even though we're going to hear about the struggle in the womb, but as they are just born and they're, they're young children, they're both cute sweethearts. You want to pinch their cheeks. You want to like, you know, like they're cute little kids, right? It's only when they grow up that we start to see a difference. That's what the Torah tells us. When they grow up, then, um, then things are going to really go. And Asaph is going to go into such a terrible, terrible place. He's going to go to a place of murder and a place of rape and a place of stealing. And it's, he's going to go to such a terrible place. And yet, and yet, there's a place that his father always believes that there's goodness in him that we just have to try to pull out. Okay? That was like a preamble <laughs> to the story. Okay? Now, um, in, in Hasidus, Hasidus always adds like a lot to every single story. You read, you read Tanakh stories. There's a lot of the stories are just like, they're nice stories. But then once you learn it like a deeper level, deeper level, then you're like, oh, wow, that changed the story for me. But like the story, the base story is like a nice story. The story of Yitzchak and Rivka and Yaakov and Esau and that whole relationship, you look at the story and you're like, what? It's like so weird. It's just so strange to how the story, Yitzchak loves Esau and Rivka loves Yaakov. And it just feels like, you know, if we were to use modern terminology, which we don't really use when we talk about the Elvis. It's like, if on, a, on a base level, it looks like they need communication skills and some parenting lessons and, and everything's going to be fine. Hasidus says it's much, much, much deeper than that. That, that Yitzchak recognizes himself in Esau. They both share the same midah, just like Avraham and Yishmol share the same midah of Avraham's midah was Chesed, right? Avram and Yishmael share that same midah of chesed, whereas Yishmael is the negative manifestation of kindness as a, there isn't a taiva that he does not want. There is no, nothing, you know, nothing of, of you know, that he sees it, he wants it, he takes it. That's like where his kindness goes. Um, and, and Yitzchak is gvori, Yitzchak is strength and principle and judgment and discipline and Asav is the other end of that spectrum where it becomes um, harsh and taking pleasure in somebody else's pain, somebody else's pain and, and, and going the letter of the law without an ounce of rachamin, without any compassion in it. That's really where Asav uh, is. And the Gemara actually describes, the, uh, uh, describes Asav and it talks about that there was a king who had different ministers over different storehouses. Right. So you have the minister over like the food and the minister over like the clothing and you have the minister over the building. So the minister over the building looks at the 
minister of the food and the clothing and everything. It's like, that guy is so busy. Everybody needs the food. Everybody's coming for food. Everybody's coming for clothing. I'm sitting here with my, you know, storehouse of bricks and nobody's coming. No business. So what does he do? He goes, uh, he goes around and he finds people who have weak houses and he knocks down their houses. And now he's in business because they need, they, need, uh, they need bricks. They need to rebuild. And the Gemara says, that is Asad. He loved to destroy, to see people hurt. He wasn't, he went to people, he didn't go to people whose like foundations were solid and firm and they were totally sure of what they were doing. He went to the people who were a little bit unsure, a little bit hesitant. Am I doing the right thing? Am I not doing the right thing? Or he found somebody who was skating on the edge and he smashed them in with like, how could you do such a thing? And he really collapses their emotional building, but he takes pleasure out of it. And that is that is the other end of the same Mida. The end of the Mida of Gvura. Gvura on the one hand is judgment and justice. And on the other hand, it's cruelty and gladiators and you know and football. Like that's the other end of that's the other end of the Gvura spectrum. And Yitzchak very, very much recognizes, recognizes Asav. He recognizes that personality, and there's something about it that's very he sees it as a as very important, uh, a very important factor. The other thing which is very interesting about Asav is that Hasidus loves Asav. Hasidus is enamored with Asav, not Asav in the Chumash, not Asav in the Chumash, Asav in the potential. Uh, Hasidus is enamored with him. The the Asav by nature is much more powerful than Yaakov. He is he is the energy of Tohu. He's the energy of chaos, of chaos. He is the energy of extremes. And one of the things, if you want to look at the, the, the uh, theme that you could say in this Parsha is which is the better way to live your life? Is it when you're extreme and you're like a zealot and you're passionate and you, you that's awesome, but it's not balanced. And the, the power that Asaph has is the power of extreme. He's he in potential is so much more has so much more power than Yaakov. He has so much more raw energy, and yet it's all it doesn't get used anyplace because he's he's all over the place. The extreme, the extremeness of Asav almost brings about his destruction. We find that Yaakov, with his balance, with his tiferet, with his beauty, with his what's the beauty? Beauty is balance, not all one or all of the other. It's knowing when to synthesize different emotions. And that is balance. And that's where we have, a, at the end of the day, Yaakov is going to be the continuation of the Abrahamic line, not, not Asa, because he's, he's all over the place. He's just, his energy is much more powerful. And Hasidus talks a lot about what would happen if Asa would have been tamed? What would happen if Asa would have been channeled? Wow, wouldn't that have been way more powerful than Yaakov. Like, absolutely. Had Asav sort of, you know, like that raw energy kind of somehow been tempered. Um, and so Chassidus explains that Yitzchak, Yitzchak sees Yaakov and Asav as a team. That they're going to work together. That there's going to be this raw power on the one end. They're going to have like spirituality on the other end. And they're going to somehow work together. Um, and, and, the truth is that Rivka sees that he's wrong. That we're going to talk about that, but that that isn't really how it's going to work. It's not going to the you know. Do you ever hear the expression "absolute power corrupt, corrupts absolutely"? 
if Asaph had all the wealth and all the everything, it would not, it would not have been pretty. Rifka understands that there is a place that the blessings, which are at the end of the Parsha, the blessings of spirituality and physicality have to be in the hands of the same person. And she says it has to be in the hands of Yitzchak because he's going to know how to do both of them properly. Because one, he doesn't want to be in the physical world. He doesn't want to be immersed in the commerce and dealing with the, the fat of the heaven and all these blessings. He doesn't want that. And because he understands that that isn't really who I am, I'm not a doctor, a lawyer, uh, whatever I am. I am a Jew, I'm a soul, and this is what I do, then that is our, sort of where we have to, we have to blend that. Um, does any of this make any sense to anybody? I don't know. I, in my head, it kind of makes sense. I don't know if it makes sense when it comes out of my mouth. I apologize if it didn't. Do you want to sit on my lap or do you want to walk away? Huh? You want to stand next to Bubby? Here's your water. You want your water? Okay, where are we? Okay. I want to do one more. I, I want to bring one more uh, a, a gemarge, and then we're going to, then we're going to almost, fin- we're almost going to finish our conversation of Yitzchak. This is the only Parsha we talk about Yitzchak because he isn't active in, in any other Parsha. So, so the two, two things. First of all, the Chumash tells us, yes, my baby, you want me to hold you? Better? Yeah? Okay. Can't help you right now. Um, it, the Chumash tells us that um, talks about their her talks about their being childless and their 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 uh, their uh, Rivka having this very hard pregnancy. Finally they dominate, they get answered. Um, and and there's a place where Rivka is very, very, very nervous because she thinks she has a schizophrenic child. Not that we have anything about against schizophrenia, but if she's starting a new nation, every time she walked by a house of idol worship, there was kicking. Every time she walked by a house of, of uh, Torah, because there wasn't a sheep for shame, um, she, she felt kicking. And so she, it, says, it says she went to ask Hashem what's going on. And it's interesting that she does not go to ask her husband, who is quite a righteous person. She goes to shame. She goes to the issue of shame, the Ava, and she asks them, what is, what's going on? And they tell her that you have two nations in your womb. It's not one child who can't figure out, am I serving God or am I serving, uh, you know, uh, idol worship? I am, I, you have two different nations, two totally different nations. And there's a place where she kind of calms down when she realizes that it's not one person who's indecisive, but it's really two different powerful energies that are going to be coming out. So then we have, and this is kind of what I wanted to talk about a little bit, is um, uh, in, in chapter 25, verse 28, it says, Because he has, it could be game, it could, there's something, there's something in his mouth. Rivka has it Yaakov and Rivka loves Yaakov. So Chassidus and everybody wants to know about why does Yitzchak love Esav? Like Esav, the real person Esav, so t- great, he's the same Mida, but the real person Esav is terrible. He's a terrible, terrible person. Once he gets past 15 years old, he's a really horrible person. And how does Yitzchak 
not get it. And Hasidus says that um, that Sayed means hunt or game. And one of the things that Yitzchak sees in the mouth of Esav, he sees that in the future there are going to be great people, Ovadia the Navi, Ovadia the Prophet, Mayor, Shmaiva Tayyim, great sages are going to be from Esav's children. So Yitzchak says, I wonder, can we pull the Kedusha out of Esav now? Can we, can we just, can I just, it's in his mouth, it's so close to the surface. Can I just pull the Kedusha out? And then we don't have to be in exile for 2,000 years going through what we've been going through for the last bunch of, you know, since, since the last bunch of years. What are we in exile for like 2,000 years or something? And we've been slowly going through Asav, going through the countries that Asav lived in. Asav is Rome, going through every place that we've gone through. And every time we've done gone places and we've had done mitzvahs and we've done things, we've been elevating Asav bit by bit. And Yitzchak was looking and saying, can I just do it now? Can I just whoop, elevate Asav and, his, and change history? And Hasidus says, which it does not use this expression with anything else, it says Shehuta'a, he made a mistake. Esav, the, the elevation of Esav was not going to come through Yitzchak. It was only going to come through Yaakov. There was a place that Yaakov and Esav are going to have to work together. And the elevation of all the Kedusha that's going to be in Esav, not just Esav the person, but Esav, the whole Weltanschauung is going to come from Yaakov, from Yaakov and his children living through Esav and being in exile with Esav and elevating, that's really where the elevation of Esav is going to come through. In one place, Hasidus talks about, you know, where, where Yitzchak looks at Yaakov and Esav as a partnership, there is one place where, where he is correct. That Yitzchak represents the neshama and Esav represents the body. Right, so in this particular parsha, Yitzchak and Esa, Yaakov and Esa did not—they did not work together. But in 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 each and every one of us, we have Yaakov and Esa. We have our body and our soul, and our body and our soul are meant to work together in order to elevate the world. We're not meant to have the body overwhelm the soul. We're also not meant to have the soul not use the body. Where the body is, both of them are supposed to like end up understanding that it is in their best interest to serve Hashem. Um, so for example, we have like, you know, the the, the soul comes into the body and, and is like rearing to go do mitzvahs and do things. And the body's like, I'm hungry and I'm tired and I'm not in the mood. And the neshama has no idea what's going on over here. And the neshama needs to learn to speak the body language. And the neshama needs to say to the body, wouldn't you love to do Friday night dinner with your family and turn off all the electronics and light some candles and have some family time? And the body's like, oh, that sounds like an awesome idea. Yeah, the show's like, yes, Shabbos, you know? And slowly the body also understands the value of Shabbos, not just as a detach and have time with family, but understands as a connection to Hashem. And then the body and the soul are both on board in the same, in the same conversation. Um, but as far as what they were supposed to do right now, Yitzchak, sorry, Yaakov and Esav right here, right now, they were not meant to work together. They, Yitzchak was making a mistake. He was looking at the ideal, the idealized version of the situation. And Rivka's like, no, no, that's not actually what's going on. The real version that's happening, not the, in theory, wouldn't this be great if, but what's the real story that's happening is that Esav is, 
nowhere, nowhere near ready to take, he's ready to take physical, but he has no interest in taking, in taking spiritual. And what's interesting is that we know that, I, I know we're doing the partial a little bit differently this time and I hope it works, but whatever. Um, uh, when he gives the brachas later on in the partial, where is it? Uh, around chapter 27. Yeah. Chapter 27 is where he starts this conversation where Yitzchak tells Esav to go hunt animals for me and I'm going to want to bless you before I die. Um, he's trying to like put his affairs in order and, um, and uh, parenthetically Rashi says that at this point Yitzchak is 123 years old. He's five years be 100, 100 and uh, no, he's 122. He's five years before his mother passes away. Rivka Pat, Sarah passed away at 127. So the, the Talmud teaches us that five years before your parents' um, death, time of death, a person, a person should start thinking about their mortality. Now, Yitzchak's can end up living to 180. So this giving away of his possessions is a little bit premature, but this is where his logic comes from, which means if he is 122, or I think it's 123 years old, and he's 60 years old when the twins are born, how old are the boys who we're talking about this blessing for? He's 120, let's see, he's 122, 123. He was 60 years old when they were born. So how old are the 60, 60 plus, they're 62 years old, 63. We always think of this blessing situation as a bunch of little kids. It's really not at all. They're, they're grown men and they're, and, and still Yaakov knows that his mother says to do something. He's following his mother. Um, and, uh, and, and Ace of also there's like, it seems the language that Terry uses makes us think of them as little people. Keeps calling them the boys and the brothers and keeps using that language, but they're actually, they're, they're adult men when the story happens. And we know that, we know the story. We know that Yitzchak tells Esau to prepare food for me. And I'm going to eat and I'm going to bless you. It's a weird story. Yitzchak's a tzaddik. He needs food to bless it. It's like so crazy, right? And, and, uh, and Rivka overhears it. And she, when Esau goes out, she tells Yaakov, come, let's get you dressed. We're going to prepare two lambs, two, 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 uh, sorry, two goats. Um, and we're going to prepare food for that. One person needs two goats. That's like a lot. You know what I mean? And the whole story of how she dresses him up and she, he gets the brachas. And then Esav, sorry, then Yaakov leaves, right? It's like a choreographed play. Yaakov leaves, exit stage left. Esav enters stage right. He comes with the food. He's ready for a bracha. And, and his father says, wait a second, your brother, brother already took this. Your brother... Where is this? Uh, he says over here in chapter 27, verse uh, tw verse 33. Verse 32, he, Asaph comes in and says, you know, come in and eat. And he's and he, he get, 33 gets very, very nervous. We'll turn the page for one second, Brent, one second. He says, uh, wait a second, so who did I just bless? And when Esav hears this, he cries. He gives out a long 
strong, bitter cry. I'm such a honest, you know? And he says, Father, please, can you also bless me? And Yitzchak says, your brother came in in deceit. Um, and he took your blessings. And he says to him, and, and then Yitzchak, uh, uh, one second. So then Esau says in verse 38, he says, Esau says, Esau says his father, do you only have one blessing? And he's like, what do you want me to give it? Give you, I gave him everything. He's the master, he's in charge, he has everything. Now what's very interesting is, you know, in the conversation of how well does Yitzchak know his children, at the end of the Parsha, when Esau wants to kill his brother and, and Rivka gets him to run and go to love him, to go get married and get away. Your brother wants to kill you, go away. And then she goes to Yitzchak and she's like, oh, if he marries these Canaanite women, it would be the end of me. I would be totally devastated. So Yitzchak calls Yaakov and he gives him a bracha. Okay, he gives him a bracha. Um, and he says to him, in chapter 28, that Yitzchak calls Yaakov, he blesses him and he commands him not to take a, a Canaanite woman for a wife, go to Padan Aram, to your, to your uncle Lavan, and Vikel Shakai, and he gives him the blessings, the Abrahamic blessing, the bracha of Eretz Yisrael and Kedusha and all of it, he gives to him. He's giving this, he gives this to Yitzchak, which means Yitzchak knew Esau. He knew what he was capable of doing. He knew that these brachas of spirituality were never supposed to be Esau's brachas. They were always meant for Yaakov. And what ends up happening is that Yaakov, so when, when Esau says, you only have one bracha, Yitzchak had another bracha, but it was so not shy for Esau at all. The brachas of spirituality and Avraham's legacy and all this. It was not anything that Esau was at all interested in. And, and, and so then we see that Yitzchak, he might have been physically blind, but he wasn't really blinded to his son. He wasn't really blinded to the reality of what's going on uh, with his son. He really does see what's happening. Um, and he really, he is aware of the facts of what's going on. And um, so I want to say, I want to bring some, something here. I printed it from the Gemara because I just want to bring the whole Gemara and have to start looking for the pages. So it tells us, uh, Shmuel Nachmani tells us that at the end of days, when Mashiach comes, I'm going to read in English, not in Aramaic, because my English is better than my Aramaic. He says that at the end of days, we're going to call, we are going to say, you are our father, talking about Yitzhak, that Yitzhak is going to be the main, the main one of the four fathers. Yitzhak is going to be the main father. And it says, for Abraham does not knows us not, and Israel does not acknowledge us, meaning Abraham and Yaakov somehow did not, they didn't do it for the children, for they didn't stand up for their children. And Yitzchak will be the, the main father of all the Jewish people. And it says what happens that in the future, Hashem's going to come to Abraham and he's going to say to Abraham, Your children sinned against me. And Abraham's going to say, like, so you need to punish them and sanctify your name. Uh, what's the question? So God's not 100% satisfied with that answer. So he goes to Jacob and he says, uh, you know, he had the, he raised children. He understands the pain of raising children. Maybe he'll have, you know, he'll have a different response. So he goes to Jacob and he says, your children have sinned. And Jacob says, uh, master of the universe. If so, let them be eradicated to sanctify your name. Okay, so that's two opinions. 
So then he goes to, uh, so he goes to Yitzchak and he says, your children have sinned against me. And Yitzchak says, my children, aren't they your children? At Sinai, when they said Nasa before Nishma, you were so excited. B'ni B'chayr son, my son, my first one. All of a sudden, they're not your children. They're not doing so well. So they're not your children. Like, Mapitom, that's my addition. And, he said, and then you want to say they sinned. How much could they possibly have sinned? How long is a person's life? 70 years. Subtract the first 20 years of his life, because for the first 20 years, you're not punished for any sins that, you're, that, you, that you commit. Okay, so you're left with 50 years. Take 25 years of nights, and 25 years are left. Half the time of 50 years is night. Okay, 25 years ago. Subtract 12 and a half years, during which one prays and eats and uses a bathroom. And 12 and a half years are left for them to sin. So if you can hold on to that and forgive them for 12 and a half years of sinning, great. And if not, I'll take half of the punishment and you carry half of it. And if you can't carry half of 12 and a half years of sins of the Jewish people, then I'll take it all. He said, I already gave my soul before you and you should forgive them because of me. And the Jewish people say to Yitzchak, you are our father because you are the one who defended us when, when everybody else was like... <laughs> What can you say? You need to punish them. So when we talk about Yitzchak, and we're going to talk more about Yaakov and Esau in the, in the next part, just because we're kind of running out of time, believe it or not. It's shocking. It's shocking but true. Um, you know, we Yitzchak is is a, is like an almost overlooked, uh, an almost overlooked uh, of the forefathers. We, like, we don't see what he did. We don't see what he contributed so much. Um, and yet we know that he really, he was, he did, and he really gave us this, A, he gave us the foundation for which Judaism is going to be built on. It's going to take it out of the persona of Abraham and be something that we can all tap into. He's going to teach us the importance of finding the inspiration within ourselves. Meaning the first level is get inspired and come and let everybody, you know, let it be showered on you from above. But if you really want to own it, you really want to own your Judaism, you really need to work on it yourself. You really need to dig into yourself and you really need to find the, the water that you already intrinsically have. And that belief is actually going to take us all the way until Mashiach's time when he's going to actually stand up for us, when nobody else wants to stand up for us and say, how much could it be? How terrible could their sins have been? And we know like here we are, we're a couple of uh, you know thousand years into exile and it's been a rough road and we, you know, it's been uh, been an interesting, uh, it's been an interesting exile, and I think that it's the voice of Yitzchak that really uh, is the echo that says, you know, like today, so many thousands of years, we haven't, we're so far away from Revelation, we're so far away from the Temple, we're so far away from everything holy and good, and there's still people who care. There's still people who want to learn Torah, who still want to have a relationship with Hashem, who still are involved. That's Yitzchak. That's the strength that we get from Yitzchak. That tells us that you could still do it and you could still be inspired. And we, we found water within ourselves and we're able to, to really uh, move it forward on our own, not only on our own, but, but to be able to have inspiration that comes from your own. And there's something very sweet about that place of the, the inspiration that you find in yourself. Um, that was a thought that I, I thought we were going to be able to do more today, but we are clearly not. Um, tonight and tomorrow is Rosh Chodesh Kislev. So Rosh Chodesh Kislev is, first of all, the biggest thing we have. We have Hanukkah. 
and we have a lot of Chabad Hasidic holidays, and we also have Yutes Kislev, which is a general Hasidic holiday. And um, so I want to give us a bracha. You know, we talk about Kislev in general, whether you talk about the Hasidic holidays, whether you talk about Hanukkah, uh, the image is always of fire. And we know that fire has two main properties. It gives light and it warms. It could also be terrible and destructive, but we're not looking at that. We're looking at the, the, the warmth and the light. And um, I, I, I wanted to share a story. And then when I tried to source the story, nobody actually heard the story. So I think it might be a story that's only in my head. So I'm not going to share that story because it seems like it's clearly a made up story. I don't know where I got it from, but so I'm not going to share that. But somebody said, oh, but it refers. Somebody asked the Rebbe, wanted to, he wanted, they were getting married and he wanted a blessing that their house should be warm to be a warm house. And the Rebbe answered, if you make it warm for other people, your house will also be warm. And so I wanna give us a bracha as we're going into this Kislev month, this month of light, this month of, this month of fire, this month of Hasidus, that we take the inspiration of the steadfastness of Yitzchak, who we spoke about today, to, and take our light and shine it, and shine our light and shine our warmth and when we shine it, we will be warm and we will warm people around us. Have an awesome rest of the week. Thank you.